Welcome to Taiwan War 26 on the Nine Demons and the Shanghai 13. And legendary director Chang Che gets actors he worked with across the decades together for a Super Smash Shaw Brothers style time in the Shanghai 13. Or if you want to use the itchy and scratchy theme song from The Simpsons when describing this movie, it works as well because they fight, they fight, they fight, 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 fight and then it's over. That's the Shanghai 13 in a nutshell. But in the first half, together with his, uh, with part of his. Uh, trusted cast of um, actors and action directors, Chang Che crafts a Wu Xiaopian fantasy with a tint of Halloween store horror. And I'll, I have, I'll explain that note. Uh, it also has extensive kung fu and it comes in the form of The Nine Demons. Uh, that stars Gary and Joey, which is also an in-joke. <laughs> we'll explain the full context of uh, we have already in past episodes anyway my name is kenny b and finally talking to my podcast brother in arms uh, todd statman again after a uh, uh, wildly long recording break but uh, that's a good reason for that but uh, welcome back buddy thanks ken i'm i'm really glad to be back it has been too long well you've uh, spent um maybe not the majority but a good six months at least on uh, not a book project but a book release project and uh, not a re-release of funky bollywood but uh, you as you've written uh, or told us before you've written your second book and this time it's a novel so uh, fill the kind people in because i don't think you were at liberty to uh, like a spill plot and things right, like that I was before under a self-imposed gag order before now now it now it's time to sell copies. The book, it's my first novel. It's called Please Don't Be Waiting for Me. It's set in uh the San Francisco Bay Area in nineteen eighty. Uh and it's sort of set against the backdrop of the early days of the Bay Area punk scene. And it's about a group of teenage punks who when one of their friends is murdered after a show at the Mabuhai, which was the big punk club in San Francisco. I mean, basically, if you were around at that time, which, Ken, I know you weren't. Um, I was one years old. Yes. <laughs> there was a lot of tension between the police and the punk community. Uh, Jello Biafra had run for mayor. Uh, Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys had run for mayor in 1978 and got a very respectable portion of the vote. This angered the mayor, uh, Diane Feinstein, who's now a state senator or actually a California senator in the house. And she was very cozy with the police force. And so she kind of used them to crack down on the punk community. So these kids don't have a real expectation of the police being able to help them find out what happened to their friends. So they set out to find out themselves in the course of doing that. They, uh, come up against a bunch of different, you know, malevolent forces, uh, like Nazi skinheads, hell's angels, and, uh, also a group of, uh, Bay area grown racist, kids called the white punks on dope or the sunset district irish which a lot of people don't know about but they were real just to say or maybe needful to say i drew a lot on my own experiences writing this book it's not autobiographical i never solved a murder but it's coloring that all this it, there's a lot about the bands that were around at that time the clubs the hangouts 
you know, the attitude, where you got your clothes, all that stuff. So it's sort of a little bit of a casual social history as well as, a, I think, an exciting mystery. And it's got a lot of humor in it. Uh, so far, it's it's getting really people are saying very, very nice things about it, which I like. So that's it. You can buy it from there's a website, pdbwfm.com, where there are sale links where you can buy it. Of seven ninety five, or you can. Uh, there's also an ebook version, which you can buy on uh, Amazon for four ninety nine, I believe. Well priced and uh, well worth it. I have my copy. I just need to learn to read first, and then I'll then I'll uh, <laughs> dig into it. No, no, yeah. no but I do, but I do have it because. Uh, if I'm being honest, and this sounds like I'm just uh, scoring brownie points, but uh, I'd like to support creativity of people I know and uh, like and admire, and uh, it won't cost you an arm and a leg to do so. And 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 I'm talking not because it was like just below my high price point or anything. No, it's worth supporting creativity, man. And uh, whenever you get to it, you get to it. Uh, I'm 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 a slow reader, and uh, that's I'll, I I started to be a bit more structured and diligent in terms of uh, reading my, my physical books. I'm an audiobook guy uh, because I'm okay. out, out and about so much. But uh, So I'm, I'm going to try and like, get uh, get a structure going. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I have a slight, uh, this is not too personal, but I have a slight, ever so slight learning disability. So keep, keeping up uh, focus while reading is a big thing for me. So I need to really okay. uh, put a... Uh, goal like read 10 pages yeah you know don't I mean? worry about it i have countless friends who are like oh man i i mean to finish your book but you know it's just taking me a while and it it is it's a brisk read it's not tolstoy it's about here can have tolstoy then you'll be a real like, man <laughs> it's like 200 pages yeah, you that's know? right and the text is pretty big <laughs> good too, good so. you fault of me in the process <laughs> but you did go on a little promotional tour i suppose so uh, any highlights yeah. in terms of uh, appearances or uh, live readings or whatever i haven't done a library reading yet but we're trying to set up a, a library event here at the main branch where penelope houston the, the former singer of the avengers actually works there something with me and her having a little chat which i think is really exciting i did something at mo's books last week which is a berkeley institution uh and that went really well a lot of a lot of young kids there which was the first time i've had to address an audience of mostly college age and younger uh so that was interesting and then uh you know we did a book launch a couple months ago in june at a place in montclair which is near oakland called a great good place for books and that was fantastic and that actually that i was interviewed by a blogger named nancy davis co and uh if you look me up on youtube you'll find that interview it's a pretty she asked me a lot of really good questions that i didn't expect excellent well i'll uh, i'll search that out and uh, provide uh, that link in the show uh, post uh, but but i'm also quite happy that the, you were able to uh, arrange and also get maybe help to arrange these uh, events there uh, because it is self-published after all you don't have a juggernaut yes. behind you that uh, is going to yeah. push you out into 20 different venues and events uh, you know i used to be like oh i can't self-publish it because that looks bad but i don't think it's the stigma of self-publishing is not really a thing anymore there's all kinds of people putting out books and 
you know, it's nice to have control over the way it's promoted and all that. I will hopefully be putting out another book on Fab Press this year. You know, in the meantime, I'll I'll be able to put out my little my little novels on uh, my little punk Hardy Boys novels. Uh, through Amazon, yeah. And I'm very happy to hear hear it. And uh, I always like when you conceive and execute, uh, you know, from conception to execution is one of my favorite uh-huh. uh, favorite topics in the whole wild world. And uh, you did it, man. So congratulations. Thanks very much. Uh, all right. As for some brief, short, uh, brief and short, it's the same thing, but it's going to be brief. Uh, contact information. And this is Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire Network. And for all your Podcast on Fire Network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. That contains all our shows, but also all the other shows. That uh, is, uh, you know, is a catalog of a, a variety of different uh, shows focusing on Hong Kong and Korean cinema and Japanese cinema and so forth. And this one concerns uh, Taiwanese cinema of uh, of a certain kind, often, uh, often childish or special effects tinted or in general weird, but uh, we aim to provide as much context as we can, even talking kung fu or um, wild demons movies <laughs> in, in this case. So uh, I hope you enjoy a little balance that we present uh, to you. And all the relevant social, social media links are available at the top of our website as well. So uh, you can hit us up on uh, social media and let us know what you think of the show and so forth um, so um and uh, we also have obviously uh, the plugs to our respective websites so goodreviews.com my video hub sleazykvideo.com and todd statman's uh, multimedia empire 40k has <laughs> a, a plug as well and uh, within 40k i'm sure there's very visible plugs where you can uh, get to your book site and buy your book and so forth definitely if you just go over to the handy uh, sidebar on the right there's a link where you can buy my other book, Funky Bollywood, that I should mention. But there's also a link to the uh, Please Don't Be Waiting For Me website. All right. And uh, as for what's coming up here, it's not hugely packed, but we have a couple of sections. And uh, because this episode is kind of a tribute to the career of Chang Chae. It's a big career, so we'd like to provide some details about that. There may be some personal uh, notes and so forth so uh, the first half as we mentioned will be covering his movie The Nine Demons but it will also contain half of the biography that we researched uh, of the man as told by Todd and after that we reviewed that movie I then in the second half conclude the tale of Chang Che and then we end the episode with a discussion of the fight heavy The Shanghai 13 so, The Nine Demons from 1984, and uh, I'm going to give the floor over to Todd, because uh, as, as I said, he's going to do half the bio, but he's also written an eloquent uh, plot summary for this uh, quite uh, wacky, crazy, colorful movie. <laughs> so After a fashion, yeah. I actually, I reviewed uh, Nine Demons on my blog, 4DK, a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to read the summary I wrote for that, uh, which is... Zhuo's Chi and Gan Yang are respectively the sons of Master Gan, played by Chang Peng, and the, the patriarch of the powerful Gan Manor and his loyal associate, Supervisor Zhou, played by Wang Taksang. When forces led by Gan's treacherous sergeant, Yin, stage a takeover of the manor, killing their fathers and capturing Yang, Zuo Chi escapes, only to stumble into a hole that leads to the underworld. There, he meets the Demon Lord, played by Chris Lee Kinsang. Once in the underworld, Chi 
appeals to its ruler, the demon lord, to help him save his friend Gar. Uh, I'm sorry, Yun. In reply, the demon lord tells him that since getting his ass handed to him in an obviously ill-advised fight with God, he has been confined to the demon palace, which I'm presuming. Uh, that there was some kind of copyright issue with calling it hell, so we're not <laughs> calling it that. Um, instead, he tells Chi that if he would be willing to let himself become possessed by nine demons, he would attain magical powers that will help him in his fight against the usurpers of Gan Manor. There are downsides to this plan, naturally, as the, and they are two in number. One is that the demons must regularly feast on human blood to retain their power. Needless to say, Chi agrees. The demons who are confined to a cage are a noisome lot comprised of eight hyperactive little boys in grass skirts who cape around doing backflips and somersaults while cackling and jimmering like spider monkeys on crack. <laughs> the, ra- the group is rounded out by a sexy vampire lady played, b- played by Wong Guan. These nine move about by turning themselves into flying skulls that hungrily bury their chompers into their victims. After the manifestly agonizing process of having the nine demons introduced into his body, Chi carries their skulls around with him in the form of a necklace and uses a magical remote control called the command placard to deploy the demons at will. If you know something about Chang listeners, it's not necessarily that he does Kung Fu demon revenge pieces so uh, this yeah. is why this little taiwan adventure is uh, notable at least on the surface that there, there there's possible fun to be had yeah i wouldn't i would never write about chang che if he didn't make movies like this occasionally but what is there to say about chang che well todd still has the floor in terms of uh, in terms of this um, man and his massive career the man is paused by now but uh, so the floor is yours what is there to say about chang che well, it's suitable to talk a little of he's a legendary director of nearly 100 films and what influences he bought, brought to the HK film industry, despite the fact that he eventually left Shaw Brothers, the studio where he established his reputation. Uh, Chang's legacy at Shaw derived both from his prolific output of films anything from four to eight pictures per year, and his being a, revol- a revolutionary influence upon the wuzhou pian and kung fu genres, both in terms of visual and thematic content. Although born in China in 1923, Chang Che was Taiwanese. During the Sino-Japanese War, he and other exiled students took part in cultural work in Zongqing, forming a social education team that later went to Shanghai to further promote culture for the government. During this period, he also managed a formerly Japanese-controlled theater that put on both Peking opera and exhibited films. He would continue to do this throughout the political turmoil that was to come, and is today seen as overseeing something of a golden age in Taiwanese theater film industry came in 1947 when he wrote the script for The Woman with the False Face, the first Mandarin language film to feature exterior shooting in Taiwan. Soon after that, at the age of 26, he logged his first directing credit as co-director of 1949's Happenings in Halashan, which was the first Mandarin language film to be produced by a Taiwanese company. With no formal training, Chang drew heavily upon his experiences watching and studying films, 
film sets and drama, whether American or Japanese, which he then combined with Chinese culture and themes. After a hit-or-miss beginning, he sought a new start in Hong Kong, where hopefully his failures would be less well-known. With a background in writing martial arts novels, scripts, and film criticism, he became head of the script department at Shaw Brothers. It was a meager living. Run Run Shaw was well aware of his talents. Especially evident was Chang's determination to inject the male hero back into martial arts cinema to his mind wresting it away from the female swordsman who had dominated it since the Cantonese films of the 50s and 60s. This ethos carried over to his first directed effort at Shaw, 1965's The Butterfly Chalice, which he initially directed alone, only to have the studio assign Yun Chao Feng as co-director. Despite this rocky start, Chang would eventually find work as a solo director, working with actor Jimmy Wang Yu twice in 1966 making the lost black-and-white swordplay movie, Tiger Boy, and swordplay movies, Tiger Boy and Magnificent Trio. And and I can I just say, by the way, uh, maybe I wrote this vaguely, but uh, Tiger Boy is the lost one. Magnificent Trio uh, was available when and became and came out uh, remastered. So by lost, you just meant they were un- under your sofa somewhere. Oh, I wish, because uh, I could have made money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, But it was in 1967 that he would effect a radical change in both Hong Kong cinema and Wang Yu's career with the one-armed swordsman. Upending the dominant trend of female action heroines, the story itself might not have been revolutionary, but when coupled with its fevered revenge plot, state-of-the-art action choreography, and Chang's trademark taste for blood and guts, severed limbs, express viscera, and all, it went on to become the first Hong Kong movie to earn over a million HK dollars at the local box office. Favoring working with the same actors or groups of actors for extensive periods, Chang found himself working most prolifically with actors T. Lung, David Chang, and Chen Quan Tai, often in the same movie. His films with these stars furthered themes of heroic bloodshed, brotherhood, and brotherly sacrifice that would later be developed upon by Chang protege, John Wu. Reflecting upon his long career, Chang had this to say. When I finally decided to be a director, I was already over 40 years old. The subjects of all my hard work are no longer such big problems or obstacles now. For for instance, using males as the main protagonist using new actors, not using pretty faces, not having happy endings, even using simple titles that have only two or three words. Back when I first started, every single one of those things was under intense pressure and scrutiny, and it was in the middle of a lot of criticisms and sarcasm. But I managed to get it done with hard work. I can imagine if you get, you know, if if you're an influential person, it's not smooth sailing all the way because trends come and go just because you make the one-armed swordsman doesn't mean they leave you alone for 10 years or anything because cinema is changing. So, so I can imagine right. Shaw Brothers were checking in on him to see if uh, if the movies were being made and if the movies were promising. And, and believe me, listeners, I mean, it's 100 movies, man. Not all of them are good. Some of them are pretty damn terrible. <laughs> I, I remember just as a minor side, one of the early 70s movies he made that uh, they, they were modern movies and they were about youths, right? 
played by David Chang, Tilong and Chen Kuantai, well into their 20s or near, near their 30s uh-huh. by now. It, so it was sort of like, really, I mean, the convincing factor is totally off. David Chang has, is the closest one to maybe look youthful, yeah. but not a youth. So it, it's the commercial machine of Shaw Brothers that he certainly was part of, and not everything that came out of that was... Um, quality those trends can be amusing even if the movies are right all what they are you know and he also it has to be fair he sort of announced himself as a maverick by setting himself up in opposition to you know his crusade of of restoring the male hero to to martial arts cinema you know so it was a it was a position that invited criticism i i i didn't follow how the sort of transition went if it, if, if if it was a swift transition like overnight the one on swordsman changed changed the, how every movie was conceived but uh, we we started are used to the fact that he favored male heroes for the majority of his movies i mean there are exceptions of course he, he made uh, like the, the year after he was the director of the sequel to come drink with me so obviously he he brought back cheng pei pei but there there was a large focus on jimmy wang Yu as a co-star as well so uh, yeah uh, so uh, there is that but um cinema trends come and go and um we certainly uh you know there's a mixture of uh, female dominated films either a year later or 10 years later or 20 years later so uh you know yeah. you know early 80s in hong kong when modern action hit uh Maybe it's not the first, but it's just the first name that came to me, like when Michelle Yeoh broke and uh, you had uh, Cynthia uh, Roth rocking, what have you. So um, I'm, I'm most glad that there are trends that uh, all have a place in the marketplace. And at this time, the one on Swordsman really, really hit home. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those, I don't know, lightning in a bottle type of situations that just worked. And then they were off to the races to capitalize on Wang Yu. And, uh, and, and I mean, shit, even Wang Yu. When he wanted uh, to go solo himself, he he essentially crafted a kung fu movie or made it break commercially with the Chinese boxer. I know Chang Chia made the movie Vengeance, may, maybe the same year as Chinese boxer, but he didn't have the impact the Chinese boxer had in terms of kung fu tropes are here to stay. <laughs> so and but 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 coincidentally, the Chinese boxer is still one of my favorite uh, Wang Yu movies. I'm quite a fan of it. So. I have I have a question for you actually that's going to reveal a, a a really startling level of ignorance on my part. I know what the venoms are, and I know it has something to do with the move them starring in the movie The Five Deadly Venoms. But I don't know who they are, and I don't know. Uh, I guess I was confused because I watched a little of the the English dub of Nine Demons, and it in that it says. It casts and the nine venoms. I thought there were five venoms. So, can you just give a real brief history of that for me, if you know? You're pretty spot on. I mean, when he cast the the five venoms, he brought in and and uh, this is in the second half of the buyers. So I'll 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 be quick here, but he cast a, a, a troupe of uh, Taiwanese uh, picking opera performers. That in in the roles of uh, you know the lizard and so forth, there there were those different styles in the five venoms, and that really broke through culturally over culturally over time. And therefore, whenever those actors were in movies, whether they were at 
all similar to the five NFs. The, I think the West sometimes just placed it all under a banner. Whenever right. um, Philip Kwok and Chang Cheng did a movie, or and Lu Feng and uh, Lo Meng, the big muscle guy, they were collectively known, especially on bootlegs, as the Venoms. Crippled Avengers sometimes is is touted as a Venoms movie. It's just that he recast those guys, but he never extended that movie the five venoms okay. actually there were, there were as far as i know there wasn't a sequel to the five venoms he went on to invincible shaolin the kid with the golden arm and crippled avengers and things like that and it, it, it's sort of a simple simple way to say that he's working with the same troop of actors again okay so were the venoms typically supporting or I mean, T. Lung and David Chang, they weren't part of the Venoms, No, right? that, no, that was earlier. Uh, the Venoms were, uh, they were the stars. Uh, they, oh, they were, okay. Uh, you know, essentially, we had like three or four leading men, essentially, in that movie, The Five Venoms. Uh, no one really was solely controlling the frame, which was cool. Uh, I mean, I'm not the greatest fan of that movie, but I recognize it has a cool concept, but they it would get better in my opinion with invincible shaolin and the likes and and crippled avengers is probably the most fun movie that those guys carried but and it was the same it was a shared sort of lead situation and they worked behind the scenes as well as action directors so cheng che really trusted that very acrobatic Mm -hmm. bunch of untested actors some of which didn't go anywhere in terms of uh, developing their skills some of which really went some places so uh, philip Kwok probably mainly and, uh, in the west he probably got his biggest exposure in john woo's hardboiled where he plays mad dog which is a really iconic and uh, very, very present role so uh, i think um, he um, he stood the test of time uh, so to say so that's it it's not my favorite era of uh, chang chia's uh, that latter 70s one but uh, right uh, but uh, we we are when all is said and done talking of an era after Shaw Brothers in the eighties back in Taiwan and that I think uh, transitions us neatly into the review and some quick opinions first of all of the Nine Demons and for me um, it, it's fun but it can't quite carry its supernatural ideas and energy for an entire feature but because it, it is a bit too long to be honest and it hasn't it doesn't have enough ideas but I I do like it because the concept is fun. Uh, carried by that question in my head, Chang Che is doing this, which is yeah. fun to me. And uh, you know, kung fu, wuxia pian, black magic, horror elements, cheap ones. It it's likable, even though it goes on repetition. I th- yeah, I kind of think what it mostly is in uh, in that sense is uh, a combination of a martial fi- martial arts martial arts. Fi- I'm sorry, it's early for me. A chop soki film. It's uh, no, I'm not that lazy. <laughs> a martial arts film combined with like a Hong Kong horror movie in the style of Boxer's Omen. Have you ever seen that? I have. I, I have. mean, Boxer's Omen is way more demons, but it's still kind of fun. Um, but I think I think at this point we also got to say that this film is kind of notorious among Western. Uh, martial arts fans for a quirk of its English dub, which is that the characters of Zhou Qi and Gan Yun are known as Joey and Gary. <laughs> and uh, so, like, 
oh, this foreign shit is so much trouble. Like, right, what generic like, names can we come up with? Granted, this dub was produced in Hong Kong. I think Ocean Shores oh produced it oh, for right. video in Hong so, Kong. So, yeah, let's let's make this appeal to a Western audience and call them Joey and Gary. Meanwhile, all the other characters have the Chinese names they have in the original. Oh, they did? But, I've forgotten about yeah, that. Ha- having the guys constantly going, Joey, Gary... It introduces an element of stoner comedy into the movie. Like, it's like Bill and Ted in Partial World. It's very ridiculous. I was going to watch that version. I've seen it. But the print you found was so nice and pristine. It was widescreen. I wanted to give the film the respect of watching it as it was intended to be seen. You're, you're right. It, it opens up. I mean, the scope frame obviously opens up matters. And you, you can appreciate the movie for the fact that yes it is low budget but it has decent enough uh, outside sets and costumes that you recognize from these movies so it isn't a depressing low budgeted time or anything uh, and uh, it, it's very kung fu from the beginning by the way because uh, you know they are righteous men but they're also mischievous men told not to fight and dad doesn't want them interfering in small matters and then the whole massacre happens and you think you're in a regular kung fu movie that the nine demons probably it is just the name of a villain or something right, you know? right. but uh, then the other movie happens you know a few a few minutes in so which is which is uh introduced by um Zochi falling into a hole this movie combined with like other movies like Pearl Changling's Matching Escort, where the same thing happens, sort of indicates to me that there were a lot of holes like that <laughs> in China at that time. I remember that stupid fool in the Magic of Spell movie falls down a hole. Oh, yeah. Just right. because it's he's just... clumsy, there's no one on the road, and he still right. walks into the hole as the fool he is, and we've set up our stupid comedy now. <laughs> because... Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's how this... All of a sudden, he's falling through this this weird sort of Alice in Wonderland setting. But but you know what? I, I, I want to bring back just a little bit. Before that switch, we, we do get the emergence, and this is so evident in widescreen, that emergence of the elegance of choreography with uh, with an active camera that knows very well how to start tight on a fight and zoom out for us to follow the fight and that take with coherency. And that still is evident, meaning that Cheng Chie and his uh, actors and some of them are the action team too, they, they know how to capture this with uh, clarity. You can have the best fight choreography in the business, which these movies do, but you also have to be able to know how to film them. And uh, they do that too. I mean, the fights in both these movies are amazing. They're very good. So I'm a big fan of that, you know. And you never knew how that was going to turn out, I suppose, which is a pro to his thinking, chang because when he yes. brought in these guys for the Five Venoms, untested actors, great stage performers, that doesn't translate to cinema automatically, but, you know, it kind of worked out, and it was a cool frame, and, and some of these guys are still here with him. But now they're in a new kind of movie and it's a movie also with its own set of rules because he falls down into the underground we have no hints of this Todd it's just now it is a supernatural revenge angle but but I wanted to ask you because he lays so much like rules and exposition exposition dumps onto us as he falls down into that pit 
I could keep up with, but was that a red flag at all? That, oh my God, we're going into Choyun territory. <laughs> nah, not quite. I mean, I will say this. The costumes, uh, as is the case in a lot of his films, he always has his characters wearing these very colorful costumes and like all kinds of uh, scarves and capes and everything. Uh, the costume of the Demon King was amazing. He's wearing this gold hat that looks like it weighs about 100 pounds. I- I'm a huge Choyun fan, and I sort of see Choyun as the anti-Changsha. You know, I feel like Hong Kong cinema in the 80s was sort of a battle between their two sensibilities because Choyun really brought a, you know, he brought the Wuja back. He brought a sense of femininity and beauty into the martial arts film that I felt Chang Che was kind of trying to snuff out. And when Chang Che does this fantasy stuff, I think, as you alluded to, it's sort of half-hearted a little bit. Or yeah. He, it's, yeah, it's not as... I mean, it makes the films more fun than they might otherwise be, because otherwise they can be kind of just grim. I was thankful for the the um supernatural elements but i thought there could have been more and they could have been more over the top yeah they're, they're very they're, there's not enough variety unfortunately um, yeah one it has a quite a low budget and you can forgive that because you and i are both fan of cult movies and so does a b b movie so when this setup is brought upon you and you know there's good kung fu players involved too we we follow that glad gladly but the problem is when when the movie is approaching its 80th and 90th minute is that we we, we get the same concept repeated in terms of how the demons suck blood we get the same insert not the same but the same kind of insert shot of the plastic demon skull absorbing blood and that's great but it it's not great when you do it five six seven times in the same way in a in nearly a hundred minute movie yeah, that's the money shot in this movie. It's a bunch of plastic skulls kind of chattering their mouths, and they they have glitter on them, so that added production value. But yeah, that gets a little tiresome. The one thing I'll say about that I really like, I think with any low-budget supernatural movie, uh, you can't lose by using lots of Mario Bava-inspired colored lighting, which this film does. This looks... It's Bava Disco Time, Todd. It, it totally is. Yeah, it's like they put, yeah, uh, green and red gels over the disco ball or something. But yeah, th- in that sense, it looks amazing and really fun. And therefore, his purple tights uh, blend into the environment. So. <laughs> I, I was amazed by that. Are they really going with, now I'm a metal demon. I've got purple right. tights. Like, are they really I going for that? <laughs> I, men- I mentioned in my review that the the it's kind of like a superhero origin, you know, where he goes fa- falls into the underworld and uh, absorbs the nine demons. And then he immediately has this, yeah, this costume with like purple tights and a cape and he looks very fabulous and everything but it definitely it feels like one of those marvel movies where they spend the first half like on the origin story mm-hmm. but but you know you, you have to admit though and I, I can easily do that it looks like the movie is embracing its its uh, genre not trap yeah. trappings because that might sound like it's a trap but it sounds yeah. like it, it knows where it's going and it has no yeah. sh- shame in uh, mixing the way it does right 
So it's sort of a superhero uh, kung fu horror movie hybrid, which sounds really interesting. Probably more interesting than the film actually is, but you know. Yeah, it's it's about the energy maintained and he does for when we first see the various tricks that he has in store for us but he he isn't you know doing or he doesn't have access rather to any Shaw Brothers style creativity anymore because you know there's no Buddhist palm style creativity there's no there's no even though it's not a Shaw Brothers movie there's no seventh curse style manic nature and creativity here but right holy flame of the martial world yes that's another good example Yeah. yeah that hyperactivity yeah but but then again you know when you list up the list the elements of what what goes on here for for instance it is kind of a lo-fi blast when the kids go the demon kids in the in the skull necklace go ram go on a rampage in the brothel yes (laughs) yes um oh i also mentioned in my article that chi looks like the only thing he's missing is a flying v guitar (laughs) 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 to look like a because then he'd look like a member of the spiders from mars missed opportunity yeah, missed absolutely a missed opportunity. But after all that is repeated a little bit, and you get a little bit sense of that, Chang Che doesn't have that many creative ideas. There are some thrown at us. Uh, it, the the attacks are a little bit better when they are wired and not just the kids jumping on top of people. And there's a wonderful sequence where they're all biting one guy at once, and the guy blows up. Afterwards. Oh yeah, which is yeah. okay. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I was never truly out, but I'm a little bit more in now. Now, now that you've said that, <laughs> problem I had with this movie too is that the at his actors or his male actors tend to be a little emotionless, yeah. you know, a little because they're sort of, I guess, they're supposed to be stoic and and manly and everything, but they don't. They, I feel like that kind of weighs the movie down because they're sort they're not very expressive. Yeah, what what he found after, you know, when when the uh, ion triangle relationship was over, meaning his uh, Tilong, David Chang, and Chen Kuan Tai mm-hmm. working relationship was over, he never found as many of uh, charismatic actors. Uh, right. You know, uh, he he had Fu Sheng in his movies as well and that that aided that aided his movies. But the movies tend to work when the when the whole production sort of is firing on an audio visual level. Yes. But when they're reliant on the performers like Ricky Chang here who's the lead and so right. forth. It's they're great physically, but if uh, we're going to sit there and watch and watch them and absorb themes about the cycle of revenge it's it, it it isn't what they're there for and what they're skilled at. Yeah, and I think uh, back to Joe Young. Yeah, T Lung in many of his movies, and I think T Lung. I mean, he's in this, but he kind of comes in at the end. Oh, oh, he's in the Shanghai. He's uh, a great actor. Yeah. Oh, in the Shanghai Thirteen. Pardon me. That'd be awesome think... if T Lung came out came out uh, during the uh, hockey sequence, as I like to call it, but it isn't a hockey sequence. <laughs> <laughs> Was it that for you as well, in terms of Nine Demons, that like you were never truly out of it, but it was better when he found some new ideas and some new technical ways? Because what he also injects, by the way, other than that blowing up guy sequence and wires, is some weapons choreography too, not just hand-to-hand stuff. I mean, I mean, it adds variety and elegance when you use weapons as well, and these guys who could 
uh, carry that. Uh, that, that. That means you get some variety in terms of action. Yeah, I guess the thing is that I don't think that Chang Che is like a, a really amazing. His way of filming things generally isn't interesting until the fights are happening, and then those are you know it's kind of like a master class on how to how to shoot one of these fights and how to stage one of them. I mean, I mean, I mean, you're very right because he used that he had a particular type of camera language that he stuck to. Uh, many Hong Kong yes. directors did, but the intense zoom ins and so forth. So you, you you are spot on in terms of that, and I I think uh, he was better at drama early in, in his career and be- better at the narrative stuff. But uh, by the mid seventies and onwards, that wasn't uh, part of his uh, creative drive, if you will. But uh, yeah. you 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 are thankful for when the movie makes noise and right, and, and, and probably <laughs> the biggest noise it makes is when they do have that massive finale on the uh, inside set that's uh, a frozen lake right and it and they're suspended above it by this lattice of bamboo poles which is it yeah that's an amazing that's very imaginative and that's very cool i'm i'm kind of tempering my language here to be honest because i think it's probably already obvious i'm not a huge fan of changsha so you know, but I did enjoy both of these films, so I'm not saying yeah, you're allowed to have an opinion. So it's not like you're going to dismiss mine. <laughs> well, thank so. you. Yeah, right, exactly. But here, Ken, you're wrong, and I'm the writer, and I'm right. I wrote two things. You've no. written none. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so go ahead if you want. I, I write. That's my motto. I write, and you're wrong. No, <laughs> uh, you know, but I I I don't. Yeah, I don't really want to be the voice of political correctness again you know and you know i i don't like his super macho it turns me off but it's not i wouldn't say his films aren't worth watching i mean i love uh come drink or did he do, he didn't do come drink that was sorry that was uh another filmmaker King I who think. did the first one and uh chang chair directed the second one golden swallow Another filmmaker, I think, is overrated, which might bring you to the question. It's like, why is this guy co-hosting? No, this but it, yeah, for heaven's sake, it, it's never, you know, going back to the core, core of it all. It's never about we got to find stuff that we agree on. Otherwise, we're screwed. No, 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 not at all, because you are not the kind of and I've said this to you before, but it seems like you need a little bit of a scene to here. <laughs> I've said it before that as long as you're not dismissive of uh, anything I say, I'm not going to be dismissive of anything you say. And we are not the kind of sort of clickbaity podcast that, that liked to say the nastiest things just to be noticed and crap like that. Yeah, no, no at all. I think that's, yeah. So, so I mean, no, uh, I... it's not like you're going to come out here and say the the dialogue surrounding Chang Che's cinema has sometimes been about, was he gay? Is it homoerotic? But you're not going to go here and talk about that with slurs or anything. So, I mean... It, oh my God, no. So, so, yeah. so obviously there's always going to be a, a mature and constructive discussion from from uh, from two uh, two people who do their very best to bring context, so don't worry about it. Okay, well, I will say one thing. I've always had a problem with the one-armed swordsman, you know, because Chang Che himself. I think you have a quote later where he, you know, he objected to he chafed at critics the critics' focus on the macho natures of his movies and most vociferously to any suggestion of homoeroticism. 
I think the fact that, you know, I see the one-armed swordsman is sort of his manifesto in a way and sort of a mythologizing of his own quest to restore male dominance in ma- martial arts cinema. And, oh, and he sort of dismisses Freudian uh, Freudian analysis of his films. But, I mean, come on, your film has begins with a symbolic castration. I mean, the hero has his, quote, arm, unquote, cut off by a female opponent, and then the rest of it is about him, his arduous struggle to once again assume his place of mastery in the martial world. I mean, you know what I mean? It's uh, It seems like a pretty bald Freudian uh, allegory. Well, he goes... Uh... In latter movies, I have that in, in, in the in the in, in the latter section. But in latter movies, he puts that even more on Front Street in a way where you almost think he's trolling people who have talked off and <laughs> analyzed things. So, but uh, I'll 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 mention that later. And, and I, I've I've always been sort of in the middle, I suppose. And I, I I've always taken the movies at face value. Mostly, I do recognize that there is uh, an element of ad- admiration for for the male body with ex- you yes. know exposed torsos and often torsos that get speared and penetrated and things like that but yes. I- i've never really been the, the kind of viewer that um and, and i'm not saying your your way of looking at it is wrong but i've never been the kind of viewer who could dig into it because it requires uh, thinking and that's what i'm not good at <laughs> but but uh, i i recognize there's things there and the yeah. characters often you know embracing and touching themselves and that's the uh, not touching yeah. themselves touching each other like having a an <laughs> arm on each other's sh- each other's I think shoulders about me i touch myself um <laughs> so 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 there is something there that at least when viewed from the west that we look at as kind of well that's unusual There's, there might be something to that i'm not like a big postmodernist deconstructionist i'm not really into that deep of analysis of these of these movies, but I think when the symbolism is so blatant as to me it is in the One Armed Swordman, I'm not going to not call it out or not comment on it. But uh, yeah, and I think the thing about the you know the the what we see as homoeroticism that may be a cultural thing. I mean, there's sometimes I think so. I mean, you can even say that John Woo's movies had that because they were an extension thematically and content-wise of what he admired about Chang Chia because when you watch A Better Tomorrow and see Chai and Pat and Tilong embrace after they've been apart for so long and it, it seemed, it's both hugely melodramatic and we as Westerners I don't think we're used to that kind of intense embracing, physical embracing but uh, Well if you watch what what are called Our Buddy Movies it's like two guys insulting each other for the entire movie. You know, basically there's this real taboo about any, you know, affection. And I think there's the same issue with um, Bollywood films. I think a lot of Western viewers have trouble with the way male friendships are portrayed in Indian films because there is a lot of touching, there's a lot of intimacy, and there's a lot of affection, which is a cultural thing. You know, and if you don't, dig enough to realize that then you're just like oh you know what the fuck these movies are weird you know that whole thing which is and and that's where you you become and and, and i kind of emphasize you become the better man by 
digging into that and wanting more of an understanding, yeah. may, regardless if you liked it or not. You you right. want to craft an, an good of an understanding of what is contextually there and culturally there to sort of say, well, maybe I can't 100% say, but I can offer a take and now I understand a little bit more of it too. Yeah, you have to give it the respect of analysis to make sure you're not condemning it because for something you just don't understand. Because then you're just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, to just conclude some notes from the Nine Demons, I I, I think, uh, as we established, the, the action is very expertly put together, even though some, some of the setups go on repeat. But during the lake sequence, we have some expertly hidden wires. At one point, Ricky Chang is hovering above the lake. He's doing figure skating, only he's, he, he's hovering. There's uh, spears that are in the shape of they're like serpent weapons, which is very cool. Oh, yeah. And and the sequence just goes bigger and bigger and bigger with bamboo scaffolding put out there horizontally. G- granted, they want to have a little dramatic touch at the end that you know Ricky Chang's character is possessed, but his humanity remains. So you you they want a softer touch to it all, but you know he's you know he sold his soul. So right. Well, but then he does um battle with his own demons, which is pretty cool. So I think it sort of it finds a momentum thankfully and doesn't rely on the tricks it has re- uh, done on repeat. Thankfully yeah. this sequence that looks as good as anything shot on the indoor sequences at Shores. I was really impressed especially in widescreen and remastered that that indoor sequence and the way they portray it's not ice but they they uh, depict it as a frozen lake but i think it's rather clever and extensive as heck so uh um i agree i I don't know if i appreciated it in cropped form before with them shouting gary and joey to each other (laughs) yeah it's yeah if you want to check this film out and i would i would recommend it you know with some hesitance but uh if you want to check out this film I know it's like really tempting to see the goofy, funny version with the bad dubbing because those movies are always fun. But you should really see it in the widescreen version, and Ken will tell you how to find that. I think because it looks—it's a great-looking movie. I'll, I'll certainly go for the availability section, but I still want to check in, check in if you have any other notes you want to share with us before we go. I think that's about it. Like I said, I—I mean, if you're a fan of sort of these crazy uh, supernatural martial arts movies, I'd say check this one out. But if but if you haven't seen things like Holy Flame of the Martial World or Thrilling Sword, I'd see those first. But unlike some of those, this actually has real quality martial arts in it, you know, because a lot of those other ones are a little sloppy in that uh, aspect. Uh, and so... Yeah, I think it, I, I I'd say I'd give it a solid okay. As for availability, it was mostly available in cropped form before, courtesy of uh, Ocean Shores in Hong Kong, and their Gary and Joey dub. Uh, but by now we have a an official Western release, courtesy of uh, the UK label Terracotta Distribution, that released it as part of their classic Kung Fu collection range. They were actually uh, kind enough to supply us with a copy for review purposes. Uh, so uh, and and their version is in widescreen. It's remastered. Uh, it uh, has the main movie in Mandarin with English subtitles and the shorter Gary and Joey dub cropped uh, as an extra feature on the disc. Fantastic! 
Um, okay, so you got oh you got a promo copy, so I, I own half of that, so I need to <laughs> so you need to send it to me for half the year, and then I'll send exactly. it back. Exactly, well, I'll just split it in half. Here you go. Right, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah, or you could just send me the Gary and Joey disc. No, I actually own that already. I did want to ask one question, and we were discussing how the supernatural aspect aspects of this movie seem a little half-hearted, seem a little sort of cursory. Made in 1984, and at, when did Zoo, Zoo come out? That came out in like 1982 or something like that? Release date, I think, is 83, but yes, uh, close Okay, because there was like a big... After that came out, it was a very special effects intense movie, and they even had some of the special effects people from Star Wars work on it. And after that, you saw this wave of effects-laden martial arts movies like the other ones I mentioned. And do you think that was what was going on here? Chang Che just felt that these were obligatory elements because everybody else was doing it, but his heart wasn't in it? I, I I think it's extremely feasible because uh, I think the industries are keeping tabs on what's going on, and obviously Sue clearly showed in Taiwan. So, and maybe he kept an eye on what Shaw Brothers were doing because they, they were engaging in heavy duty special effects. Uh, 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 I rewatched Buddha's Palm, uh, the uh, oh, early eighties movie, yeah. with uh, Derek Yee and so forth. I have no idea what goes on in that movie, but it's uh, it's fantastic <laughs> to look at. Yes, uh, it's also clear that. May I haven't seen Five Element Ninjas. So I don't know how much that special effects wise goes for it. Uh, Chang Chi's Shaw Brothers movie, but uh, it's more of a straightforward like revenge type or tournament film, right. I think is what you call it. But there's no there's no demons or monsters in it, as, as I recall. I think it's a combination of he he couldn't match the filmmakers in question he didn't have the budget to do so and and maybe you know getting on in years and maybe half-heartedly going into it but 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 to draw a straight line from this to the influence that sue crafted i i think absolutely because sue made things you know gear up a little bit yes you know it may also have been partly a result of him working in taiwan and to taiwan's credit they were making crazy special effects martial arts movies well before Zoo, so since like the early 70s. Maybe not with the same, you know, level of sophistication, but um, definitely with as much or more imagination. So he might have been channeling into that tradition too. Like maybe there was a producer who was like, well, why don't you put a couple demons in it? You know, you never know, you know. And, and he didn't have as. Uh as some of these Taiwanese productions did, they he didn't have any Japanese talent imported so to make those right. uh, those shots look great. But but you're right, the, Sue wasn't the start of it wasn't dormant before Sue came along and in Taiwan they they were trying their hardest and, and subsequently they did really I think well with the children's movies we've talked of because uh, they're, yes. they're they're high on technical ability obviously. This one can't be slotted along into like, well, it can stand proudly next to a child or peach or whatever because it, it doesn't have the same chops. But uh, they, it's uh, it's it's sort of there. It's sort of there. It doesn't have the same enthusiasm. Yes, also, very much. Which so. the child of peach films are like, and then this happens, and look at this, hey, you know, and which makes those very uh, infectious. 
And and I, if if I'm being honest, now that you say that, some of that I think is due to our director at hand. He he wasn't he didn't craft manic energy in his movies because he wasn't really attempting that. Cripple Avengers is great fun, but it feels like a Chang Chi movie. It's not uh, some kind of manic zany crazy pill time. But, it's not a novelty. Exactly. So, uh, but um, yep. Yeah. Great points and uh, go Taiwan because they had a lot, lot in them uh, more than just um, uh, not just art or, or drama or anything. They had special effects uh, cinema in them. This one belongs in the special effects tradition, even though, as to- Todd said, not uh, with as much heart and uh, energy. And that's Gary and Joey and their dub put to bed, <laughs> I suppose. Gary, we should take on the identities of Gary and Joey for this podcast exactly there we are we're, we're gonna take a break and after a break we uh return to another ni- 1984 chang chi movie but one that uh, reunites his uh working bodies from the prior decades and the current decade in the form of this uh, I, I, as the terracotta dvd says it's sort of the expendables before the expendables <laughs> oh kung fu style that's pretty accurate i think and better than the expendables that was a crap movie. That was a shitty movie. The Shanghai 13 review and there's some more chang biography coming up after the break. And welcome back in the second review of this uh, sort of chang special is his 1984 Taiwanese Kung Fu picture, The Shanghai 13. And the plot from the Terracotta distribution DVD goes as follows. During the Sino-Japanese War, a Chinese patriot steals damning evidence that exposes treacherous intentions within the government. Planning to bring the evidence from Shanghai to Hong Kong and break it to the public, he becomes an assassination target. In order to ensure a safe passage, he employs an elite ensemble of fighters, the Shanghai 13, to protect him on the mission. With obstacles ahead and pursuers behind, bloody battles ensue. And a lot of actors appear in the process that you recognize if you watched a fair amount of uh, especially Shaw Brothers movies. a lot of that, hey, that's that guy. Exactly. Now now that guy's dead. Yeah. Now, aren't they called the 13 Rascals in the movie, or is that... Uh, I, I don't remember what the dub said. I, I listened to this with the English dub this time, and, I, and uh, I, I don't know what the subtitles say, because I haven't seen the subtitled version yet, uh, but uh, yeah. you, you might be right. Uh, uh, these things happen, you know, over the course of uh, translations back and forth. Oh, sure. At yeah. least they got the number right. I yes, <laughs> I yeah. I can't remember if I. I think I watched the dub version too, but I can't actually remember. Uh, and, and and when I say the Shanghai Thirteen, that doesn't ring any bells in terms of them repeating it all across the movies. Like, what about the Shanghai Thirteen? No, no one says that ten times. So uh, you're you're, yeah. you're probably right. Uh, we promised to sort of conclude uh, the the biography and uh, the career uh, sort of overview of Chiang Chi and uh, to repeat a 
tiny bit of info uh, as Todd said before he delivered Chang-Chi as many as three to four movies per year for the Shaw Brothers studio. I think it was higher than that, uh, up to seven and eight. Uh, they were often period epics, at least uh, the liked ones, uh, with handsome leading men, gory violence and extensive action. But his eye, in my opinion, for drama was evident amidst this, though, uh, in certain movies. Uh, and uh, it's it's not like it's revolutionary drama, it's verging on melodrama, but I think for me, within the one-on swordsman, certainly the Blood Brothers, the Assassin, there, there were dramatic intentions there that brought those to life a little bit more and made those stories a bit uh, human. But audiences that were after that got served that. Audiences that were after the fun in terms of gory action, they were probably happy because there were a lot of that included in the movies uh, too. But to sort of give anyone who's after like, well, well, what's a good Chang-Chi drama? In my opinion, it is the 1975 Alexander Fusheng vehicle Disciples of Shaolin. Which doesn't sound like a drama. The, the, the title yeah. is not actually representative, <laughs> representative yeah. of the movie at all. I, I really liked it. It's one of the few movies that Alexander Fusheng really worked for me in. His a kid-like demeanor and his handsome looks fit that character that was uh, corrupted. It's, it's a tragedy. And it was later remade by director Johnny Toe as the Barefoot Kid, starring uh, Aaron Kwok. We also, as the 70s went, went long, because we're at the mid-70s, we got the impenetrable The Brave Archer series. <laughs> <laughs> right, I have no idea what happened in those. For, uh. Uh, four of the movies, none the wiser in terms of, what's going on here? And then Fu Sheng is not even, even The Brave Archer in the fourth one. He's in a different role. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, yeah those kind of movies. It's not hey, there's that guy. It's like hey, who was that guy? Because they keep introducing characters at a breakneck pace that you almost never see again. Exactly. So it's that Wuxia style, Wuxia Pian style plotting that he also uh, took part in. Uh, not as much as uh, Cho Yun, but as we talked of in the first half, this part of the seventies also saw Chang Chie employing. Taiwanese Peking opera performers uh, that he discovered and subsequently cast them and made a cultural splash using them in the movie The Five Venoms, uh, representing different kind, kinds of style, like snake style and lizard style. And uh, this included actor Philip Kwok and Chang Cheng, Lu Feng, Lo Meng, who's always the muscle man. And uh, it, it, it's, it's sort of semi-fascinating because it represents one of several shifts in content and style for Chang Chie, because it, it, this isn't one of swordsmen. Uh, it's, it's quite far removed from it. Uh, the Five Venoms is actually more of a whodunit kind of movie, mm. and uh, not in... Yeah, it's a murder mystery, almost a traditional murder mystery, but with some enhanced powers and, uh, and what have you. So uh, now came the Venoms to add this almost operatic and acrobatic tint to the proceedings, and you could see that then in Invincible Shaolin and Crippled Avengers and all of that. So, so again, his movies were a breeding ground for new faces and uh, possible new kung fu stars. And uh, he didn't have that action directing team with him anymore that became famous, uh, Lao Galang and Tong Gai. He had new action directors by this point too, but uh, they, they, that was a breeding ground for for them as directors, I think, too, because they really picked up a lot of skill and craft before embarking on their own directing career. Lao Galing is the director of the 36th Chamber of Shaolin and, and so forth. Um, eight diagram pole fighter. Indeed. 
And Tong Guy was a kind of a reluctant director, but the movies he made were great. He made a movie called The Shaolin Prince, Opium and the Kung Fu Master. Boss filmography in terms of director, but really, really um, appreciated one. And as we also touched upon in the first half, there's often the debated subtext when discussing Chang Chi's work. Uh, uh, that is the subtext of homoeroticism. And there's no doubt that he focuses on male bonding and brotherhood and the code of honor and chivalry. And often his heroes are seen shirtless or with their torso exposed. And that torso would often be bloodied by the end. And, uh, you know, he, he has defended that a little bit, saying that he's echoing themes and tropes and content rather than these being homosexual characters and he expressed this in the Stanley Kwan documentary Yin and Yang and Stanley Kwan by the way is a film director a very famous film director of movies like Rouge Center Stage and uh, Hold Your Tight and things like that but he made a documentary called Yin and Yang and Chang Chia said within it he did an interview that quote it's my reading of Chinese tradition nothing else no Chinese reader thinks of homosexuals when he reads a book like The Three Kingdoms. No one thinks the heroes of the water margin are gay. Dan Kwan himself adds observations throughout the voiceover in the documentary that there, there's quite obvious phallic symbolism and weaponry and penetration of bodies during violent scenes. But Chang Che's counterpoint to that was, as you mentioned in the first half, that, quote, uh, Freud found sexual connection and symbolism all over the place. So he, he doesn't go down those routes, even though Quan tries to prod him a little bit. Um, it, it was a documentary covering uh, not just Chang Chi movies, but uh, the issue of gender in Chinese cinema and things like that. So it, it was a broad overview. He talks of movies like uh, the movies of Choi Hak and so forth as well. So um, just uh, to give a little brief summary of what it was. I would say that there's a place for homoeroticism in these movies. If there is homoeroticism, that's not bad. I mm-hmm. mean, there's they are a celebration of the male form to some extent. Mm-hmm. And I think that male audiences like that too. I mean, they might not admit it, but I think that, you know, male male audiences appreciate that male beauty too and that male power. Calling it homoerotic is not necessarily detrimental. I mean, I don't know how everybody how anybody uses it. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a good way to, to summarize it. But if you haven't seen the movie Slaughter in Xian, that debated subtext, it's a movie made in, in the 80s, uh, modern action piece. Uh, that subtext is sort of put on front street so intensely that you wonder if Chang Che was sort of trolling <laughs> audiences by this point because there, there's two sequences. One, uh, characters that uh, bond to male characters. Uh, uh-huh. um, they roll around on the floor in loving slow motion, hugging each other in one scene, set to a lovely piece of score. And Chang Chi had never done a thing like that. So I'm just wondering that I'm going to mess with people like you really <laughs> I think I want to see that movie. It, it's a low budget sort of, uh, it has gunplay, but still has the, that sort of operatic Chang Chi action style. And another scene, it's an amazingly violent scene. Uh, another character gets pierced through a rectum with a spike in a bloody fashion they just slowly Ooh. push him uh, uh. downwards and uh, it, you know it's not full chigor but it's pretty damn violent no. so uh, right. yeah just the that's one of those things where you just need the idea you don't even need to show it graphically for it to be disturbing exactly so and, it, and it's intercut by the way i think with a peaking opera sequence where someone dies uh, in the fictional play if you will so um 
only two things I remember from those movies. So. <laughs> You know, throughout the uh, those Venom's films, if you will, the action tint was always strong, and uh, and it still is in the Shanghai Thirteen. You know, the thrilling fluidity and acrobatics and weapons choreography across these movies, even in the Brave Archie movies, that no one can really summarize. But some <laughs> of the action is really something to behold, especially when they bring out the weapons. Uh, uh, Chang Chia directed his last Shaw Brothers film in 1983, but kept directing in a variety of genres, uh, modern, period, wuxia, up until 1993. And uh, by that point, he even had a new group of actors. And one of them actually became exposed internationally in a big way. Uh, Dong Chihua was cast by Stephen Chow as the staff master in Kung Fu Hustle, as one of the hidden, dormant Kung Fu masters in Kung Fu Hustle. Which was uh, really cool. And uh, they were low-budget movies compared to his studio days, obviously. But uh, if you're invested in the career to a degree, that there is value in this post-Shaw Brothers era. Um, and he ended it with a ninja movie. He directed a movie called Ninja in Ancient China. And that was his last movie in, in the 90s. So he, uh, he, uh, there was an action tint through and through. And a decently fun movie to go out on, but nothing. That was a swan song or anything, yeah, but um, yeah, so, and Chang Chia, as I mentioned, he passed away, and that was in 2002 at the age of 79. And you, you never really got him on camera to express his views and such, so those brief minutes in uh, Yin and Yang, the documentary, were... Um, oh, were, that's it, huh? Yeah, they were nice to have. I mean, I'm sure he did print print stuff uh, throughout his career, but um, to see him on camera discuss his movies uh, was rare to me. He's also one of those directors where it would be great to have him do a, a, a DVD commentary on one of those. That is not gay. That is not gay. That is not gay. <laughs> right. It might be all defending against that. Not gay. Not Definitely not gay. I'm being cheeky, but, you know, you never, yes. you never know who they pair him up with. Maybe, maybe some, yeah. some scholar who wants to, so, to squeeze some, right. something that isn't there out of him. So. Right. Right. Camille Paglia or something like that. Uh, the Shanghai 13, the uh, the Expendables before there were there was Expendables. In short, uh, Todd, it's a kung fu movie, so I'm sure there's not a whole lot to say. But in short, what did you think of it? Uh, good about good or bad? I will tell you what. I was turned off by the beginning of this movie because the heist scene was so cheesy. The safe they were breaking into looked like a gym locker. And Wang Yu's non-fighting cameo didn't really do anything to save it. But after that, I really I really enjoyed this movie. And what I'd say, uh, yeah, it is sort of like a, a martial arts version of The Expendables. But more than that, I think it harkens back to, to those sort of 60s mission movies which the expendables is expendables is trying to be movies like you know the the guns of navarone mm-hmm. or the dirty dozen i and i'm a sucker for those films so i love those mission movies and the people from various you know the fighters from various walks of life coming together um and also there's an element of seven seven samurai in there no supernatural elements at all, but a lot of great fight scenes, just nice, very nicely paced, a good solid concept. Basically, they're leading this uh, low-level government functionary through on this kind of underground railroad where they make various stops at the different ras- rascals or whatever they are 
Holmes. Like there's a scene in like there's the character played by Andy Lau, who's called Student, and I think they're they have a, con- a so they have a fight in all these different contexts. I think it's a school where they have a fight, and then there's another one where they go to a casino run by David Chang. There's a really excellent fight in that. Uh, so there's a, a, a nice uh, sort of, it's almost like a tour de force, like a night, you know, all these different types of fights in different contexts. Which is really what could have gone wrong if they didn't have ideas in this one, but they have ideas too, because it is, it is designed as a fighting showcase with camels and appearances galore, but it delivers in a way, it delivers in a huge way. And I think, I don't think this was easy to actually craft because you got to make action register rather than just pull in people. You That's not your job done automatically if you just pull in the people that you were friends with. I appreciate it a lot, especially in this form now that it's a widescreen and all of that, that it actually does it. It actually lives up to its bi- the, the billing of uh, the guys are coming back for one last hurrah. For Chang Chia, and the guys actually uh, pull it off, and and Chang Chia definitely. The, the thing is, it's not the most reviewable movie because it's done almost in a specific way, meaning it's a kung fu movie. <laughs> so it's kind of episodic, yeah. You know, where it's like every every fighter sort of gets his showcase scene and then usually dies at the end of it too. But You know, you know, it could have been so calculated. That was my fear in a way because I yeah. know Chang Chia likes to have his heroic deaths and some at the death right. door, death's door, lost speech and crap like that. But it, it never really falls into that trap where, oh boy, another one, the 10th one that's going to do that effing speech. But he never really right. does that. At least I didn't <laughs> notice it as such. There's a few elements. There's one where the guy, I think it's the first fight, and the, his guide gets fatally wounded, and he goes, I can't go on with you, girl. Oh, <laughs> you know, and then dies. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, um, and I think, yeah, the, the star cameos, or if you want to call them that, star appearances generally have a lot of impact, except for Wang Yu, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't don't know why they... Maybe he said, no, like, I'm not going to fight anyone. I'm going to be the guy who breaks into a safe because that's metal. And uh, but, but it's such a dumb little sequence because they break into a lit office and they go around with their flashlight. Yeah, maybe that was done by a second unit or something. Maybe they tacked that on. Well, we've got to show the robbery, you know. And and the the thing is also as simple as it is, it actually takes its time to sort of set up the basics Uh, uh, because we spent half an hour at Chen Quantai's house. Uh, Granted, Danny Lee turns up here in France, Danny Lee. Right, as a <laughs> as a as a terrible sniper, exactly. he misses everything he shoots at, and he he doesn't hide very well either because he's like there in plain plain sight. But uh, no, but all all of that, like, yes, it's a basic plot, and I'm sure they could have done a basic plot in five minutes. But I kind of because I I wasn't bored with it. I kind of admired the fact that we we're gonna spend half an hour here, set up some stuff, have at least two right. action sequences, and have a few cameos along the way. And when we're done with that, we're going to switch to a, the more difficult challenge of placing all these guys within the hour and craft 
action choreography that doesn't feel like it's going on repeat. So that first half yeah. hour is, is is all fine. And I I I kind of also like the fact that it has both a very distinct Chang'e touch in general, but there's also old school imagery merged with modern, especially evident in the weapons that Chen Quan Tai's gods carry. You know, uh, these uh, long blades and stuff. Yeah, I was a little unclear with this. So it takes place during the Japanese Sino War. So this was a period piece, I guess, because at times I felt like it was supposed to be taking place in in contemporary times. So it was taking place in the thirty late thirties. Yeah, I guess. I would guess so. And 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 when I say modern, I, I it's it's just because it isn't a costume epic so maybe right. i'm a bit vague with my modern tag there it's, but, uh, it's not in the 15th century yeah I know exactly you. but but it is basic and coherent and uh, and old school in feel so he isn't trying a new modern modern style because we got like cat style and snake style hand to hand going on here you know the word that came to me when watching this is all that merger plus the star and cameos and fighting that we get all of that is very neat. I, I, I thought this movie is very neat. It, it comes off as totally harmless, not pretentious, and just goes for it. And, uh, you know, you know, I said conce- conceives and executes. I said at the beginning of the show, I kind of think this does. Yeah, I feel like that too. And I, I, also, I wanted to say that I think the setup at the beginning is really important because it, it sets up the stakes it also establishes this as it's as a patriotic movie because you know he's you know the documents he's stolen are evidence that the that some you know traitors within the government are making a deal with Japan. So the the conflict is set up as you know uh, patriots versus traitors, you know, which you know you can invest in. I mean, it really sets up what's at stake nicely, and that's a very basic sort of. Uh, idea yeah, but, yeah because it doesn't pollute the movie with uh, okay uh, you do comedy too right in movies nowadays let's do that it, it doesn't yeah. uh, go it only has one sidetrack that totally doesn't work and that, that's the flashback to andy lau's uh, romantic history with one of the female characters. oh right yeah that was odd but isn't she the one that ends up getting kidnapped at the end yeah, maybe so, but still that flashback was not needed because we have no investment in those characters and, and investment isn't built on. It's a, I, I think it's kind of, well, Andy Lau is young and a rising star. Let's, let's, because all those other guys are old. We can't have them doing romance stuff. So let's let's have the young pup here. And, 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 and Andy Lau, I don't know if how much you've seen of Andy Lau throughout the years, but he isn't a kung fu guy, but he, he has been very apt at picking up action for the movies that has required that of him with minimal doubling. There's not a whole lot of doubling. He performs a lot of advanced uh, weapons choreography. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see him in this, but yeah, he was really good. It's sort of at odds in a way, but like Chang Chen, Andy Lau. I've never thought I'd say that in my life, that there's going to uh-huh. be an Andy Lau movie yeah. with Chang Chen. There's some little highlights along the way. Uh, the character that, Chiang Cheng plays who always is uh, he's not really smoking he's more chomping down on a cigarette holder and you sort of know that that's a character quirk that's gonna come back and I'm, I'm not gonna spoil how it comes back because I think it's rather uh, not surprising but well put to use it's like boom yes <laughs> alright well I will say that 
one of the plot elements is they know the names of the assassins that are after them, but they don't know what they look like. And they all have names like Black Eagle and Bear Lee. And there's a scene where they mistakenly think a guy is Bear Lee because he looks, he's kind of hairy and big. So, which is funny. That's kind of amusing. You know, the physicality of it all, as we established, is all it's all good. But I really think it flows well from encounter to encounter. Where we don't yes. linger too much on it, and the next one is often always entertaining in its own way. Sometimes because of the quirks of the performers, you got uh, actor Wong Ching here who has a natural, really big smile, and they they sort of use that to their quirky advantage. I I, I guess it's the only comedic touches of the film that. Wong Ching is this giggling uh, fighting villain and all of that, but it, it, it's all fun. Like I didn't feel like this uh, again. Like we get ten repetitive fights here. They they really crafted variety here, and um... everybody. I, it's like a film where everybody brought their best game. The structure of it is propulsive. It moves quickly and smoothly from action to action and i think everybody just does a great job in it for me the enjoyment was the more they include some hints at old school genre tropes almost like this is a time warp of a movie the more enjoyable it is uh, actor chi kwan chun who was in disciples of shaolin too he puts on these metal claws as his yes. fighting weapons and i don't think it logically sort of could belong in this modern slash period movie but it's almost like Chang Chen is very confident that bringing in the highlights in a way I, I used to do this and I can and I'm, I, I'm, I decide everything anyway so screw you I'm, I'm gonna bring that uh, bring that in because I know it's gonna look cool my action guys know what that is about too and Chi Quan Chun will perform it well so I, I didn't feel those elements were at odds with the movie I'd ra- I rather thought it was very neat that he actually went that far to merge his old days with his current days and have a last stab at uh, at uh, Kung Fu Fun. Uh, and, and, and therefore, there's not a whole lot of notes you can actually uh, make on this movie other than I, I, I can't find any lows as such uh, in terms of action. And uh, and the cameos are sort of... Progr- uh, they ro- they're rolled out in a way where... I don't know, it, it seems very planned, uh, including the fact that we got David Chang in the middle, Chen Quan Tai at the start... And T-Lung at the end. And and I think all of those appearances as planned as they they seem still have a lot of impact. I mean, when T-Lung showed up at the end, I mean, I'm a big T-Lung fan, so don't listen to me. But I was like, yes, you know, and he's the dock master. And there's this amazing, huge battle royal at the docks, which is sort of the climax of the movie. It's kind of neat to have him face off against uh, Nine Demons, uh, Ricky Cheng, because Ricky Cheng is quite agile, quick on his feet, acrobatic, and T-Long is heavier in style. He's also slightly older, and that's not a bad idea, actually. I love that power power versus, uh, uh, you know, quickness, agility. Grace, yeah, yes. So there's a sense of quality across the board. It saw, the the project saw saw this concept through, and uh, in a way... That's ambitious. That was ambitious to actually pull this off. You can pull off a kung fu movie starring two or three of these guys, but I really appreciated the fact that it did. Uh, I've seen it once before, but that was such a long time ago that I couldn't really appreciate it. And maybe 
I don't know, it's useless knowledge, but maybe now that you know some of these guys and a little bit of the context in terms of what movies they did before with Shang-Chi, maybe that's more enjoyable, I don't know. But I think the print quality makes matters better. And it often does. Even for a basic movie, if you get almost optimal quality where the movie can work on its own terms as it's screened before. I think that makes all the difference, and I think that's why I like Shanghai 13 a lot better versus the cropped version years and years ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't think of myself as like a cinephile where everything has to be just the right aspect ratio, and I I think I don't care about that stuff, but so often I see good quality prints of films that I'd previously seen in poor quality prints, and realized how much difference that makes to the extent that I think I've gone back and re-reviewed films because of that, because it can take those cropped transfers, dirty transfers, take so much away from the director's vision. Even even genre pieces, amazingly enough, right? Yes, uh, it, it right. doesn't need to be um, you know scholarly drama that you now see in widescreen and everything changes no genre pieces can transform a little bit before because i i'm, I'm the same way if i'm stuck with cropped and uh, and just partial widescreen later possibly that you know i'm i'm, I'm good with what i have but obviously right. the choice is easy if you have yeah uh, yeah you know. i mean some things you you don't have a choice i mean most existing Filipino movies from the 60s and 70s are in terrible condition. Same with Thai movies. Um, And there's, you know, in those cases, the original elements have been lost. You know, so at least we have these films in some of these films in good in good shape. For for the longest of time, the Shanghai 13, its fate seemed to be sealed. Um, Because what we had for the most throughout the years was available in cropped form um, sometimes subtitled with cropped subtitles there was actually a version Ocean Shores did where they redid the subtitles to fit the cropped frame so at least you can uh-huh. read those but yeah. um, and but, but then you have transfers that had the subtitles cut off as well and it was unwatchable but the ball got rolling thankfully into us providing the market with a better version and that started on the Japanese DVD market they released the movie in widescreen good print and what happened afterwards is the fact that we got an official western release again from UK's terracotta distribution Uh, uh, it was the first release from their classic kung fu collection range and uh, they used the same print Uh, presumably that print was you know I say presumably but I'm hoping it was sourced from Taiwan meaning that Taiwan had a version remastered and ready to go but uh, the Japanese DVD didn't have subtitles for those who need it. Uh, this version from Terracotta has Cantonese and English audio as well as subtitles. So um, you can argue that this movie should be in Mandarin, but it's not the kind of movie that you know is so specific to the Mandarin language or dialect right. uh, or anything. So um, I'm happy to have it in Cantonese. I'm happy to hear it in English. And again, Terracotta were kind enough to supply us with a copy for review purposes. So thank you, Terracotta. And uh, well done on... uh, It was a good title to uh, debut your range uh, with. And uh, Nine nine Demons followed and uh, things like that. So Okay, buddy. I I, I forgot to to ask if you have any other notes on the Shanghai 13. 
No, not really. I would I would highly recommend it. It's a very enjoyable film, which I know is weird given the reservations about Chang Che, which I was just stating minutes ago. But I think in this film, he really falls back on what he does best. If you want to know what was what was great about Chang Che, it was he was a great action director, and that is on display in this film. And uh, I just checked the. Um the action directing team it, they actually brought back uh, not Lao Ga Lung who action directed for Chang Che for many years but his brother Lao Ga Wing was part of the action team uh, as well as those uh, current generation guys uh, you know Ricky Chang Lu Feng and Chang Cheng so no one man could handle all of this action so they 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 got a, they got a team together and uh, that was cool i think some of the structure probably has something to do it was probably hard to get some of these actors to play with each other. So you had to sort of segregate the, I mean, I'm just speculating. No, well, well, for sure. Whenever you bring in a volume like that, then then I'm sure you've got to juggle schedules and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I could see Wang Yu being like, well, I don't want to be on screen with those other assholes. Just give me a, you know, (laughs) I want to wear a black hat. That's it. Right. And say, and say, I'm sorry. I don't play by the rules. And punk rock like that, see so ya. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's my motto. <laughs> so uh, that's our little Chang Chia special done. I don't have any other thing planned for the next episode, but I do know that I want to hit hit mo- hit up movies, so to say, like Taiwan's own Mr. Vampire in the form of Hello Dracula. I think that could be a fun fun thing to discuss, either one or two movies. So. Yeah, maybe aren't there like nine of those? I mean, we don't have to watch them all. Yeah, I think like four or five official ones and then bootleg titles. I have extended the series and crap like that. Uh, you know, I think even a movie like The 3D Army, someone might have slotted that into it. That might be a Hello Dracula. Hello Dracula, nine! You know, uh, yeah. but The 3D Army was just one of those Taiwanese hopping vampire special effects movies. Fun, but I don't, I don't think it was the Hello Dracula banner. Yeah, no, I'd love to get a, a hand on what those movies were all about. I know there's always a little kid that pees on people. Yep, and, that happens. Yeah, <laughs> Believe me, I took notice. One of those, yeah. But, but but it was fun because the first Hello Dracula movie, it became big, but not where you thought it became big because it broke out in Japan, like you read about. And that sort of ensured that, well, we can make those now because at least Japan is going to like them. And uh, thus they did, and they respected them on home video all up till DVD, man. They continued to really bring them out in good quality on DVD in Japan. So you never know sometimes what uh, other markets are going to pick up on. Because um, So uh, minor plan for 2018. Uh, we're, we're at the end of 2017 at the time of recording. So uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, in the meantime, for all your podcast on Fire Network needs, and for all the back catalog that, uh, that we have on Taiwan Noir and a variety of other shows. Go to podcastonfire.com, all the relevant links, including to my review website. And Todd's review websites will be placed in the show post. But I am kind enough because you are you are a uh, co-host and co-producer and you have something better to plug than everything else I wanted to plug. So you'll get a full, firm plug for your book again. Where, where What is it called? Where can I find it? But it is called... Please don't be waiting for me. Actually, I'd prefer if you... Well, no, you can just buy it through uh, Amazon because Amazon CreateSpace used to give authors a 
their own pages uh, to sell through, but they stopped doing that. And you would get a little bit bigger cut if you sold through your own page that you could customize. But they stopped doing that for some reason. They stopped giving us the larger cut. But yeah, so you can buy it on Amazon either in book form or in ebook form. Uh, if you're in the Bay Area, you can buy it at Moe's Books or at the our Alamo Draft House here in San Francisco has a video store last weekend in the lobby, and they've been doing a brisk sale in this book. I don't know why, but people who go to the Alamo are interested in it. So that's a good place if you're in the Bay Area. If you're not in the Bay Area, buy it from Amazon. I assume you hit up uh, for the audiobook that didn't happen. I assume you hit up the likes of Stephen Fry to read it, but you just couldn't afford him. <laughs> if there's an audiobook, I'll read it myself. I've been asked about that, and I don't know what the market is for independently produced audiobooks, but I would love to do that. You know, it's a really fun story, and I think, you know, and there are a lot of people who don't really read that much anymore, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm the audiobook guy, so so I I'd consume that in a heartbeat. Like I'm 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 also the audiobook guy that buys way too long books and I'm stuck with those for like nine months. I uh-huh. <laughs> I bought uh, <laughs> I I'd never read it right, so I bought the audiobook right. of it. A brisk forty five hours <laughs> took me a couple of months. Do you drive a lot? Uh, no, no, I don't drive at all. But okay. I, I I do oh, walk. Okay, that's so, part uh, of it. Yeah. Yes. That's part of the problem. Yeah, so that's incentive. Maybe I'll do an audio book. Screw you, Stephen Fry. I'm taking over that. <laughs> right, even if I can't get Stephen Fry, yeah. He does a lot of them, right? The voice of the Harry Potter audiobooks in uh, in one market. Uh, but they, uh, yeah. If I do an audio book, I will read it in my best interpretation of a posh British accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Todd, for your insights. And uh, I've been Kenny B. And with me was Todd Stappen, so sign us out, buddy. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Let's go look for a peeing movie. (laughs) Ah, and they laughed.